0: Released on Sunday, August 21st, 2016.
1: This Agile Life, Episode 117 Rubber Duck Effect.
0: This episode of This Agile Life is brought to you by Agile Dev East, the premier industry conference for agile development professionals. To find out more, go to
2: ADC The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. And I'm Lee McCauley. And I'm Craig Bruchek. Welcome to this Agile Life. We're going to be talking this episode about Scrum versus Kanban. Uh, Anthony Bruno in our this Agile Life Slack channel, he put this topic out there from his suggestion that we're talking about this tonight. So he's working with uh, uh, he's he's worked on teams and co- with companies before where they're doing Scrum and they're interested in transitioning to something a little bit more Kanban like. So, probably we should start a little bit by talking about maybe what the differences are, I guess, uh, starting with Kanban, I think it's it's a lean approach based on the Toyota lean manufacturing methods uh, that's been transported over to software development and uh, there's there aren't any ceremonies specifically uh, called for within Kanban. The main features of Kanban are tracking work on a Kanban board and using work in process, work in progress, limits on those columns. Guys, anything else that, uh, that uniquely identifies Kanban? Um, I
3: don't think so. I've, I've always wondered whether people are um, including uh, continuous flow with Kanban
0: and continuous flow is the the work continuously flowing through the board you're not you're not uh, working over any sort of a specified like sprint or iteration work continually flows into the system in an organized fashion through the system and then out the system into production
3: yeah i'm not sure that uh, kanban really calls for that but i i've seen a lot of teams that are using that say they're using kanban also happen to be doing continuous flow so i I wonder if those are kind of getting stuck together
1: I i think kanban implies a continuous flow i mean it's it's used for manufacturing like a an assembly line you can think of things flowing through your assembly line um and uh one thing you didn't mention i don't think is the what does kanban mean literally it's it's billboard or signboard in japanese so you know the kanban board is is literally a big part of what kanban means I think along with
0: Kanban, there's uh, continuous improvement as well, a focus on quality, and uh, certainly, and uh, oftentimes things. There's a there's a session called Kaizen that they do as part of Kanban, which is is like a retrospective, but slightly different. Uh, so then Scrum, I think people are most familiar with what Scrum is. Of course, we have the the cadence of the sprints or the iterations, depending on what you call them, one week, two week, three week. Hopefully, not a whole lot longer than that in those sprints and iterations. And then there are the um, the the cadence meetings that are sprint planning, retrospective, daily standups, uh, backlog grooming. What what other things, guys? Anything else I missed? Uh,
1: pulling work. Um from left to right. Well, starting from the right, pulling it from the right instead of pushing it into the, the queue of work to be done, you pull uh, the thing that's closest to being done.
0: So I think that's a good description of what we mean when we're, when we're saying Scrum and Kanban. And now now to, I guess, Anthony's question, which really is, how do you go about, as an organization that is comfortable with executing developing using a scrum methodology how do you evolve transition to using kanban or maybe a combination of scrum and kanban and and i'll i'll kind of get the ball rolling here and say that um I, i think the first step if if i was doing this the first thing that i would try to get towards is to reduce the sprint cycles the sprint um demarcation of beginning of a sprint and end of a sprint and move more towards that continuous flow where you're constantly grooming the backlog. You're constantly making work ready to be done and then allowing that work to come in rather than, than take time. I think that that's, that to me is the biggest efficiency that I would, that, that I think you can gain by going from scrum to Kanban. And so I would try and tackle that first guys. What do you think about tackling uh, cutting out the sprint planning meetings and moving towards continuous flow as a as a first step.
1: Yeah, continuous planning actually. So you probably want to groom a couple cards every day depending on how many you have flow through instead of, you know, stacking them all up and grooming them on a Monday or Friday or whatever you do.
3: Yeah, I think that uh we're doing uh kanban right now. Um, although I'm not sure we officially called it that. But we're using the Kanban board and we're doing continuous flow. Um, the interesting part as far as the planning goes is we do an as needed planning. We we do have a, uh, a set time every week where we can use that for planning. And that's primarily so that our, uh, our uh, business experts have a way to block off their time and um, and but uh, but we can kind of the the other thing that we're kind of doing differently here, I think it's differently, is our business people and our product owner really only talk about the feature levels, and then the developers uh, get together and break those down. And so the the PO the product owner still has the the sole right to decide what the priority is on features, but within that within that feature uh the developers get to decide how the stories break down and what the order is within that uh within the boundaries of that feature
1: so with respect to the planning I've seen some teams that had a low water mark of stories in ready and if you get below that that low water mark you um you plan
3: out some stories or um groom the backlog
1: and pull them into ready
3: yeah and that's that's exactly what we're doing is We've got uh, we kind of keep our eye out as long as we know we've got about two weeks worth of work that we think it's going to take us about two weeks. um, Then we're not worried about calling a meeting to groom new stuff. But as soon as we get below about two weeks worth of work, um, which for us is about 12 stories right now, um, then uh, uh, then that's when we start having meetings and figuring out uh, what we're going to keep working on.
1: So Lee, you said you said twelve stories. You didn't say forty points. No, um, have you stopped estimating story points? Yes. So every that...
3: every story is is because the because the tool we're using has to actually have a point on it. Uh-huh, a point value. Uh-huh. Every story is a point. Uh huh.
1: So that seems typical, actually. For once you get to the continuous flow, the the points really. I'm not sure the points ever mattered, but they matter even less. Yeah. Um and especially since you don't have to figure out how many you know points you can fit into an iteration because you don't have an iteration anymore, the points don't seem as useful. Um, and if you need to know how long something's going to take, you usually look at the uh uh the oh words escaping me. Cycle uh, time. Cycle time. Yeah, the cycle time.
3: Yeah, we're actually using a uh uh the Monte Carlo uh, method of predicting, uh-huh. so we we're not telling the the users or our product owners or the business people when we're going to get something done. We give them a forecast. We have a eighty percent likelihood uh, that on the the uh, stated release date that the stories we currently have um, for that release uh, will get completed. You know so. Yeah, there's a 20% chance we're lying to them, but it's like a it's more like a a forecast of a of weather. And that seems to be working really well.
0: That's that's that could be very helpful to Anthony and his situation because I would imagine if uh, his management is questioning whether or not Kanban can work, one of the things that they might have trepidation about as they approach it is, well, how will I know how much work the team can do since we're not committing to a certain amount of stories or a certain amount of story points for a sprint? And uh, so looking into Monte Carlo simulations uh, may be helpful. And, and, Lee, I'm somewhat familiar with Monte Carlo simulations, but can you give us a little bit more detail about what's behind a Monte Carlo simulation?
3: Yeah, so... um without going too deep into the math, because I wouldn't be able to do it justice. Um, you you basically have a, most of the time there's a spreadsheet that'll do this, but you, you plot it against uh, hopefully real values. So it's usually, uh, we have like a sliding window over the last six weeks. So over the last six weeks, how many stories do we get done in each week? Um, what was our low and our high value for, how the lowest week and our best week. And, um, and we keep all of those, even if we had, we, we never make make an excuse. Oh, well that week we had a couple of people out and no, it's none of that. You just take the real numbers. And for the last six weeks, uh, this is what we got done. And it basically randomly creates a simulation of, well, given the, the number of, of stories you have left, um how many of those simulations ended up with you actually completing them on time um so that's basically it and that's the that becomes the percentage um in general we have about a thousand different uh, we anything less than about a thousand um iterations of that a thousand dis- different cases doesn't really get us uh down to the um the accuracy that we want so uh
0: are you saying you have to have have real data on a thousand stories before? No, no, no,
3: no. no. Um, what I'm saying is, uh, it generates a thousand different simulated um, occurrences. So it basically simulates for what until whatever day that you say you need to have stuff done, and how many stories you need to have by that day, and it simulates what the likelihood uh, is based on the past data that you actually get it done on that day. And that's what that forecast then becomes: is well, eighty three percent of the time uh, in our sim- in our a thousand uh, simulations, you got it; uh, the team got it done in that time, and you know seventeen percent they didn't. That's interesting um, in the way that it runs the
1: basically it random runs some random tests with your model. That's the way that uh, Five Thirty Eight does their election forecasting too. And they also do uh baseball forecasting too, I think. So uh, Craig, you want to talk a little bit
0: about another topic here, maybe Kanban boards and how to transition towards that.
1: So originally when Kanban was introduced to me, everyone was doing a, a physical board and you had stories, um, uh, on physical cards, um, maybe a note card, uh, maybe a printout of a story from a story system. And it's on a physical board, and uh, you'd move it, if you finished something uh, in development, you'd move it to the testing column. And when you finish the testing, you'd move it to the uh, verification step or whatever you had there. And um, so that was kind of nice. Um, we had one team where we would put our pictures on the stories and you could just look at the board in a glance and tell what's going on. Um, in some ways, um, thats I guess that's uh, an information radiator is uh, one of the agile terms I've seen. Um, so anyone can look at that at a glance and have the information that they're looking for. Um, in some ways, that makes your stand-up meeting, which usually a conborn team will still do. And you can talk to the board. You'll usually... Uh, look at the board, starting from the right, and talk about uh, any challenges that you have in any cards. Um, so instead of going around and talking, having each individual talk, you can talk about each card on the board.
0: Yeah, that's a good uh, a good distinction there because typical Scrum would say that the way you execute a stand up is that you go around to each individual, and each individual says what I accomplished yesterday, what I plan to accomplish today. And if there's anything blocking me from, uh, plan- from making that planned accomplishment for the day. So in, and in Kanban, as Craig was saying, there's another way you can do it where you, you talk to the board and you, you address what's going on with each card regardless of, of who did the work. And usually it's the people that did the work that discuss it, but they don't go through those necessarily three categories of information. Another thing that um, <clears throat> I notice with uh, with Kanban or that I think is a is a distinction between Kanban and scrum is that often I think almost without exception in a in a true Kanban system you will specify work in progress limits on your work columns and that's not something that you typically see in a scrum in a scrum configuration right guys
1: uh, yeah I think I would agree with that at least scrum doesn't talk about whip limits as far as I know. So that's a key
0: distinction. And I think that that's a benefit to your group because it prevents what I've seen in the past where work tends to accumulate in columns and, uh, and stay there for an extended period of period of time. And you, you have this, um, this, this thing that tends to happen and, and I always called it the tree that would fall over. You know, you'd, these columns would get real long and then that tree would fall over and it falls over into somebody else's house, someone else's column, and basically destroys their world because now they've got all of this work that suddenly got dumped into their lap.
3: Yeah, a good example of that is uh, right now we've got um, our ready for QA column just got, uh, over the last couple of days, overloaded. Um, the, the whip limit is supposed to be like four or five on that column. And I think that they, they hit nine. Um, and so the, the uh, dev team then says, Oh, well, I guess we're pulling from that column and they start. And, and not to say that, that they're going to be QAing their own stuff because sometimes that can be a, a conflict of interest, but uh, we're, we're writing additional, Automated tests that otherwise the QA would would end up writing. Um, I I won't go into why we have some. We're not writing more of those at the beginning. It has to do with data uh, access, but um, that's that's kind of what we mean by that. Is people start pulling from from other columns that they wouldn't normally uh, look at when the whip limit goes too high.
0: I think, and I'll maybe follow up here, Lee, with you on, on this, this point, since you're mentioning people working on different columns, one thing that I noticed in difference-wise between teams that are doing something more Kanban-centric as opposed to Scrum-centric is that the teams that do Scrum, in a lot of cases, really have really do have people specified to work on only certain columns. You might have BAs that are working on columns further to the left that are things that are along the lines of uh, adding, adding a business notes, adding in there, uh, uh, the the Gherkin syntax for given when then's with things, and then you've got devs working on you know the middle set of columns doing development testing dev testing, code review sort of stuff. And then in the right columns, you often have quality assurance engineers doing, doing activity. Um, again, that's in the scrum world. <clears throat> so you were talking about people working in columns that they don't normally work in. And I think that's more typical of the Kanban approach where in, in the lean manufacturing world, you kind of go where you are needed most that day in the, in the manufacturing, right? you, if they need people to quality quality check windshields rather than produce new windshields while well, you go and do that. How, how do you see that playing playing out in practice on your particular team, Lee?
3: So I think uh, in this particular team right, right now, it works really well because it's definitely something that developers can help with um, without giving our business people uh, a fright that, the, uh, the same people that are writing the code are also the ones approving the code um, or approving the that the business feature has been has been completed um, uh, we there's still trust issues right that sometimes you have to get over um, so I think in this case it's going to work really well and it has been working the last couple of days um, but I'm not sure that it always has the same output. Outcome. Have, uh, I would be curious to see what other people have have had.
0: Craig, what do you think about that?
1: Um, I find that teams doing Kanban te- tend to be a little more advanced than teams doing scr- Scrum. And what I mean by that is um, they've kind of you know abandoned points estimations. Um, their stories are usually a little broken down a little more, so they're they're more they're further along in their agile journey, I'll say. Um, so that has the advantage that you tend to have by that point, people are more, more T-shaped. So, uh, T-shaped means that they have both breadth and depth of, of skills and experience. Um, so at that point, usually, you know, your developers have had enough experience working with QA people that they can do QA in a pinch. Um, And you you set up rules so you don't QA your own stuff, obviously. That doesn't work very well, usually. Um, So what ends up happening is, um, I guess like Lee said, you kind of go where the work is needed. Um, One of the things with Kanban is you you work the the rightmost card that you're able to work. Um, and, And I've seen it where teams where some of the developers were able to do QA and some weren't. Uh, you know, depending on their experience and skills, um, so the developers that finish a card and are able to do some QA, if there's a QA card to the right of anything else, they can work on. They'll work on that, and the the people that uh, aren't comfortable with working with QA, they'll pick up another development card um, if if they can't work that rightmost card.
0: And what about the the opposite or maybe the inverse of of that, where Maybe development could use some some help today, and pulling in you know a business analyst or a, a quality engineer to help work work stories in in development. Do you see that uh, happening?
1: Once in a while, depends on on those people's skills. But um, I love pairing with non developers. Um, you know, pairing with a, a QA person maybe on writing some some test-first tests, some acceptance criteria. Um, it usually ends up with, you know, better than I would have written by myself, and they usually end up with the same, same sort of feeling. Um, there's always, you know, the rubber duck effect. Even if you're pairing with someone that doesn't know code, you can, you know, bounce ideas off of them, and sometimes just asking the question, you'll have some... Uh, some insight just by asking the question.
0: So the rubber duck effect is bouncing questions off of people.
1: Uh, that seems to be, I've never how it heard works that for me. Lee, is so, that what
3: it is? Yeah. So the, the rubber duck uh, thing is uh, we actually had this in one of our teams where I brought in a big, uh, a big rubber ducky and anybody that uh, for whatever reason didn't have a pair uh, on a, on a given day, they got the rubber duck next to them. Um, So what that is, (laughs) what that is, is uh, when you're explaining something to somebody, right? So you've got some problem and you go seek somebody out. I got to help me with this problem. And you explain the problem. And as you're explaining the problem, the solution to the problem comes to you because you're being forced to think about the problem in a different way because you're having to explain it to somebody and that just breaks you out of the, the rut you were in, and you get the solution, and they didn't have to say a word. They just had to sit there, and they were as good as a rubber duck.
0: I need to buy a bunch of rubber ducks, sounds like. <laughs> <clears throat> it's a great idea. The rubber duck effect, I love it. Well, the in the game Get Kanban, which I think both of you guys have played, and uh, for any of our listeners who haven't, played it or don't know of the get kanban game you should go check that out because it's fun and it's something that i would recommend to anthony for him to check out and uh, possibly bring that in and and do that as an exercise with his team um there's the you know there's the concept of the different colored dice for the people that do the different roles on the team and and there's certainly an aspect to that game, I'm not giving anything away here, where you you you'll use people outside of their roles um, at a at a discounted rate. Of course, working in another in another column that they're not not used to working in. Uh, but that swarming effect to make sure that you're managing your whip limits is is very important. I think uh, to the concept of kanban.
1: So so wh- so why is that important to? To keep your whip limits, though, besides i I think you talked about sort of being overloaded in in one column, but what the the other thing that it it does is it makes sure that you well it it reduces waste is the the term that they like to use actually in Kanban um and waste is the potential that if you run out of money today. You've got all these cards that were in progress, all these stories that were in progress, and they have made it to production. The idea is to get everything to production as quickly as you possibly can. Um, so if your project gets canceled, you've got as much of that in production as
3: possible. So let me also talk, since we're talking about this, uh, this particular whip limit thing, um, I have to say that, that in an ideal world, you don't need whip limits. Um, the ideal world is where everybody can work in any of the columns and uh, you're always pulling from, uh, from the right and, uh, or starting from the right, pulling stuff in. And that includes um, every column on the board. So then if you're doing that and you're not breaking that rule... You never will go above your whip limit, ever. There, There's no purpose for it. Uh,
1: you might run into it if you have a situation where you're the one that completed the work in column A, it moves to column B, and uh, there's a rule that you can't, you know, check your own work. So you can't run into that situation in that sure, case. Sure, but,
3: but only if you're the only one working for several days.
1: So I found... Um, a team that had a, a good solution to that. And that was every time you finish a card, one of you switches off. Um, well, and another person switches on to that card actually. So you finish the card, let's say in development and you're like, Hey guys, pair switch time. I need someone to come on to this card and code review it with me. So, so, so I- one person stays on the card. Another person comes on and does code review and then I guess the that person switches off
3: and another person comes on to do uh, QA work. So that works really well, uh, unless you're actually completing um, multiple stories every day. And when I say multiple, I mean like uh, today, for example, in my team, um, we probably had six or seven uh, finished items that hit within about two hours of each other. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you probably want to just do a sort of a
3: time pair switching. Probably every couple hours at that point. Exactly. So, so that's my only problem with that particular methodology is that you end up with and we're switching again. Oh my gosh! I was just in the ah. middle of something else. And anyway, it, it's a good
0: point that you make, Lee, because that's true. It, if you if you really are working in a swarm approach where you you always pull from the right. <clears throat> You, you never uh, work a, a column. You never work, work something out of order. You don't necessarily need the whip limits. They become, they become sort of artificial. Uh, and, and on a lot of teams that that I've been a part of over a period of time, we always would start with the whip limits. And we'd do some calculation to say, well, how many, how many cards would it be likely that we could have in development at any time? And making sure that there's, that there's headroom there. And then over time, we we talk about do we really need these whip limits anymore? You know, and everybody's like, no, probably not. I'll just leave them up there. So we, we don't have to reorganize the board or whatever it is that we're doing. Right. So it's 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 something that you improve. Hopefully, you improve towards. But uh, that 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 brings up another thing that I wanted to mention, which is is the reason for the board is is a couple of things. One, it's to visualize the workflow. So by having that board everyone can visualize how the work how the work is done on the team. And the second thing is that it makes the workflow and the wip policies explicit. So it's not left to anyone to um to guess at, right? You have the wip right there on the on the column. Uh and then the third thing is that it it just makes it really easy for people to self-service information about what the team is doing. Anybody can walk in and see the the board if it's a physical board or if it's an electronic board that's even easier for people to see uh is to view your electronic board but those are some real real big advantages to using a kanban board not not just specific to the kanban process
1: um you talked about virtual kanban boards that we hadn't really gotten there um I don't know what to suggest as far as physical versus virtual combine boards um, I guess if you're a distributed team you're definitely gonna have to have the the virtual board um, I, I found them to work pretty much equivalently i don't I don't have a preference one way or the other actually um, although I do like that um, things that can integrate with github um, So you can actually do a commit and you can put your story number and it can actually track where things are in the progress, uh, in the process. I do like that. Um, I've seen a plugin, I believe it was for JIRA where you could use JIRA, uh, but you could print out a card for each story and it would put a QR code and you could just take a picture of the board and it would update your, uh, JIRA board automatically from the physical board. That's brilliant. (laughs)
2: Yeah. This AgileLife.com
0: Before we go on, let me tell you about our sponsor. Agile Dev East is the premier industry event covering the latest techniques and topics in the Agile universe. Learn both foundational knowledge and new methodologies to develop skills, supercharge knowledge, and re-energize your career growth. This year's event will take place November 13th through the 18th in Orlando, Florida. As an added bonus, the event is co-located with Better Software and DevOps East conferences. Your one registration automatically gives you access to all three programs. This means you can choose from over 100 learning and networking opportunities to build a customized week of learning that fits you and your organization's specific needs. Explore the program at adceast.techwell.com. Also, don't miss the Agile Leadership Summit at the end of the conference. The summit is a full day of in-depth discussion about increasing leadership mastery with the opportunity to learn new ways to challenge your personal leadership growth and to lead in your organizational challenges. This Agile Life listeners receive an exclusive discount of up to $600 off with code Agile Life when they register by the September 16th Super Early Bird Deadline at adceast.techwell.com. dot
2: This agile life.com.
0: Uh, well I guess one thing that we haven't addressed is the use of the ceremonies, the scrum ceremonies. People have maybe have have come to rely on the scrum ceremonies in their in their scrum process and We've talked a little bit about the continuous planning, so removing of of the sprint planning. But uh, what do you think about the other the other uh, ceremonies, such as the daily standup, the retrospective, the demo? Would you stop those as you transition to Kanban, or keep them?
3: This becomes a, a question of uh, for each team, right? Do, are they providing value? So. A ceremony is only as good as what you're getting out of it at the point where to some degree, a lot of those ceremonies and and scrum, I don't think would deny this. A lot of those ceremonies are training wheels for 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 groups to get into uh, an agile sort of a a sort of a mindset um, and to get their feet wet. But then they have to also keep in mind that they may grow beyond them at some point. Many of them they won't. What they won't the the stand ups, the retros. I mean, there are lots of those things that people will just keep because they're useful. But they should be keeping them because they're useful, not because there's some there's some ritual. <laughs> uh-huh. What oh, about what,
0: what about the demo? I, I hear a lot of teams uh, complaining about taking the time each week or every couple of weeks or how, however frequently you're doing it to prepare for and then execute a demo. Craig, heaven, do you, for,
3: heaven forbid we actually get uh, information from our actual users. If you're not on a team that's that's delivering constantly and actually getting uh, getting your customers to use the code immediately, then why wouldn't you?
0: My, I, I don't know. I agree with you, Lee. Craig, what do you think?
1: Demos usually happen too infrequently. Um, I, I, I think in most teams I've seen, I would kind of want to keep that ceremony of having a a rhythm of demos um, on some sort of um, timeline, you know, weekly, every other week, daily. Eh, I don't know about that. Um, but somehow getting the new work out in front of some users and getting feedback is the important part. Um, I guess you don't necessarily need to have a demo as long as you've got some way to get that feedback from the users. Um, but if you don't have a good way to do that, a ceremony is probably your best bet still.
0: I think what, what what I've seen happen with companies or with groups that don't demo enough or where people complain about demos is in those organizations where there's some requirement to put together a series of PowerPoint presentation, PowerPoint slides and, and the fear of something not, not working during a demo uh, or something not being as polished as maybe one would like it to be when you're, when you're going to be standing there in front of others and showing, showing off work. But it is really important to show your progress uh, if you could if you could do something where you're demoing frequently by pushing code into some sort of a pre-production environment and then having people put eyes on it daily or hourly uh you could maybe cut out the ceremony but until you get that until you crack that nut i think you need to keep doing the demos and but lean them out right get rid of the Get rid of the PowerPoint presentation that the managers are saying that you need and, and focus on just showing the working software.
1: People do PowerPoints for demos? Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> you have no idea. Uh, sounds horrible. Indeed.
1: Uh, uh, I, um,
0: go ahead. I actually worked with a team where all of the stuff that we were doing was middleware. It was a systems integration. And so there was nothing that we could really show to anybody, so it had to be. I mean, we so we we demoed basically by PowerPoint. We showed we completed this part of the systems integration, and uh, it, it was quite interesting. But it
1: could couldn't you show the two systems after they've been integrated?
0: Uh, not not easily. It was a lot of it was a lot of behind the scenes, sort of back end, sort of integration.
1: Huh. That's weird because my current project is a lot of. Integrating various pieces, um, but we basically show the whole. I mean, we're doing that to create some sort of whole um, user experience
0: without going into a lot of the details. There was a one company had purchased the other company, and we're integrating some ordering systems. Oh, uh, okay. And we nice. didn't necessarily have access to the other company's huh. ordering system, but we knew we were you know we knew we were getting this thing like this, and it had to pipe through the system our system like this, and then end up over there.
1: So you probably didn't, you didn't have any real tests either. I guess you had like unit tests, but no integration tests because you have no access to the other system you're integrating with.
0: Right. So we, uh, we created kind of a front door of tests using something called, um, oh, it's a wiki based testing framework that uh, uh, fit- fitness fitness, that's it. That was what we did. So that was the, that was our front door since we didn't have the real system.
1: Yeah, it's hard to do agile when you've you're limited in a way that just completely slams the door in your face.
0: We were still able to do agile. It just made demos a little bit a little bit prickly. We had to figure some things out for how to show what we were accomplishing.
1: But we well, did it. Um so other scrum ceremonies. Retrospectives. So in Scrum your retrospectives fall on on sprint boundaries. Um so I like to do retrospectives uh, still at a cadence um, every other week, maybe every week. Um, so that's pretty similar to what a, a, a scrum sprint would be. So I, I don't change that too drastically. Um, what yeah. else is there? Stand-up? Did we talk about stand-up? I, I wouldn't really change stand-up except to, like we said earlier, focus on the the
3: the cards on the board instead of, um, going through each person. There's also, uh, an additional way that you can do that, um, which is focus on a column at a time and say, Hey, in this column, are there any blockers? And then people speak up. I I think the interesting part of that is to get to the point where you're talking uh, to cards or you're talking to columns. You also have to trust your people that, uh, that they're actually doing the best they can, right? They're doing everything they can as fast as they can. Um, and you don't need them to to justify their existence every day at a stand up.
1: Yeah. Uh, I finished card number 12 and I started card number 14. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could have looked at the board and told that, thanks. Yeah. Yesterday I worked
0: on number 15. Today I'm going to continue on number 15. No blockers.
1: Tomorrow, tomorrow I'll still be working on 15. Gee, Obviously, you guys are it for this. a week. <laughs> The stand-up that evolves into a status meeting. Yeah.
0: So I think we've. I think maybe we've we've covered a lot of the high points. Um, why don't we t- each take a moment here and and if we have any things to say as kind of a our final note on uh, advice to our specific listener Anthony Bruno and his company that are are working on their their evolution of agile. We can we can provide him with some some final. Bits of parting wisdom, Craig. You look ch- like you're ready at the bed. Uh, to
1: I've I've got two short topics I want to talk about. Um, one is the the argument, which I've never had a team that completely agreed on the answer to this. Can cards move backwards in kanban? <laughs> um. So, uh, in some ways, I think about the analogy. If if a car gets to the end of the assembly line and you find out that it's got a bad wheel. Do you stop the entire line and bring some wheels to that car, or you just take that car back to the the wheel portion of the line and put some some replacement wheels on? Uh, I I don't know. I, I guess it depends on on the situation. Um, I've I've heard teams that are or people that say you definitely uh, if if there's a problem that a car got moved forward and it wasn't ready, there was a problem, then you you sort of stop the assembly line and. And everyone stops and fixes it, but I, I don't think you need to stop everybody in most situations.
0: Yeah, I Guess think that, that makes- I think the, the dirty secret to that question. Well, first of all, the answer is: Can you move a card backwards? No. Okay, no.
1: Uh, but the, I disagree. But, but you,
0: hold on a second. <laughs> but the dirty secret is: Of course, we can do whatever the hell we want to do. But the op, your your, your going in, your going in assumption should be no you can't move anything back because you can't, you can't get that car back onto the assembly line. There's no, I don't,
1: I, maybe we don't know how assembly lines work. You don't way. know
0: how assembly lines work. I know how assembly lines work. You can't get a car back uh, uh, uh. on the assembly line. Uh, uh. Can you lift a car? I mean, it's not the same thing, right? So the, 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 the short answer is no, I, I can, I can drive it. Sure. The short answer is no. no, nothing can ever go back until it needs to. And then you do it. But it <laughs> <laughs> in, in a lot of cases, what, what I will say is no. Let's not move it back. Let's write another story that's going to put the wheels on the car, and we'll set that we'll set that car aside, and then we'll write up what work needs to be done and, and do
1: it separately. But right away, we had a team that put a lemon on the card. It was a physical Kanban board, and we had a picture of a lemon, and you know that car was a lemon, and we had to to fix it. In in uh, you know, we we basically had to do some development work. When it was in the QA column. that That's what the lemon meant. So you could make lemonade? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it was just the lemon. It was the lemon law, not the lemonade law. I see. What else did you want uh, to the talk other, about, Craig? The other thing I want to talk about was swim lanes, um, which is... so Convai It is the have, Olympics
0: right now. We have to talk about swim lanes.
1: That's true. Uh, it, uh, and I'm not talking about green water in the pool this time, so that's good. <laughs> um, so... Kanban boards are all about the columns. Um, you know, you've got you've got a ready column on the left, and then a, a working, and then reviewing, and then QAing, and then deploying, and then production. Usually, something something like that. Um, so, a swimlane is is a a row across the board, um, and it's usually used for um, priority stories. Um, so you have like this top lane for things that need to be done quicker, um, and so you sort of have this two-tiered priority system of, you know, we work the rightmost column, but uh, we work the top swim lane first. Um, and, and if the t- top swim lane gets more priority than than the rightmost column, uh, that depends on what your team has chosen. But swim lanes can sometimes be useful. Um, I've also seen where each feature had a swim lane, so you basically have sort of a mini Kanban board for each feature um, or feature set or Epic. And so, um, you know, the, the authentication stories might have their own swim lane and then the UI stories might have their own swim lane.
0: All right. Uh, Lee, do you have any final topics or final thoughts?
3: Well, I think the original question was, uh, how, do you con- how do you go from being a scrum team to being a Kanban team, right? Yes. Um, so I think uh, to, to try to get back to that original question, um, I think the trick is making sure that you can do something like continuous flow because you're probably using a Kanban board uh, even if you're doing Scrum. And you may not know it, but you may be using what's called Scrumban. Um And I'm in my picks, I'll have a, a, a link to a to a description of that. Um, But uh, you may already be using some of the, of the Kanban techniques, even though you're doing a a scrum, you're having some of the scrum um, ceremonies. So it may be just as simple as picking out the thing that you think is going to be best for your team, like continuous flow or no estimations or something like that. And just trying to, to take that next step towards, where you want to go and forget about what the label is.
0: I, I think that's excellent advice. Uh, I will add a little bit to it. My advice is, uh, is to listen to what Lee and Craig said. And then um, if people are uncomfortable with Kanban, if your management is uncomfortable with Kanban, maybe have a retrospective with them about that, uh, where you can openly sit down and talk about what are the concerns I would also encourage you to try to play the game, get Kanban with them. It might uh, help really convey to them the ideas and principles behind Kanban and and give them a real sense for what's different and what's the same. I think they will actually have fun playing it. Uh, It is a fun activity to do, but you also learn a lot about the approach. And you will learn a lot about something else that we didn't talk about tonight, which is the cumulative flow diagram. And that might be something that the management is interested in seeing regularly as as a sort of a metric or a guide as to how the team's doing. Uh, So those are my final two bits of advice. Have a retrospective on the topic and play the game Git Kanban. And all the money you spend on the game Git Kanban should be sent to me since I recommended it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> this week's hottest
0: picks Lee you're up first with your picks this
3: episode great okay so um, I had two picks uh, I mentioned the scrum bond uh, and there's a pretty decent description of it um, at the link by a guy's name I there's no way I'm going to be able to pronounce this but the title of it is scrum bond being differently agile uh, by Arunkamar Thangaraj
0: um, uh, you got it, you nailed it, I think so. I
3: think yeah I think you did. <laughs> um, and uh, so go check that out if you're if you're curious. My other pick is something that we've been using uh, on my current team and I've gotten a lot of good use out of it. And probably anybody that's doing Angular already knows about this stuff, but like many things with technology, I always seem beh- seem to be behind the curve. So just in case there are other people as behind the curve as I am, go check out Protractor, uh, which is an end-to-end testing system with Selenium as the back end uh, to do uh, testing, uh, functional testing in Angular.
1: I've been told that it works. Uh, We were discussing it the other day, and um, we're not using Angular, and someone said Protractor will work with non-Angular JavaScript apps. It will. It will.
0: Man, I've been using Protractor since grade school. (laughs) Uh. you are behind Lee now Lee are you going to start selling a um a personalized line of Lee McCauley rubber duckies
3: (laughs) um I'm not sure exactly what that would look like uh that's a darn good idea though
0: I get half of that money too (laughs) all right my pick tonight Craig's been waiting for this one my pick tonight is something called camel 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 and it's probably not at all what you're thinking it is unless you've used it or seen it before, it's a price tracker for Amazon. And uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've used it quite frequently. There's a couple of things that I kind of buy uh, often. Uh, I won't go into the details, but <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so I put those things in there. You can put in the link to whatever the item is in that you're interested in watching. If maybe you want to buy like, Maybe you want to buy a new monitor. So you you figure out the monitor that you want to buy. You put it into Camel, 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 and it watches the price. You tell it sort of a range of prices that you're interested in, in watching it at, when you might want to buy it. And then Camel watches that. Camel, Camel, Camel watches that for you and sends you email notifications when it falls into the range you're looking for.
1: Does it do that thing where it predicts if it's going to be going up or down in the future?
0: It has past data on the prices, um, so I'm not sure if it predicts for you, but it will show you historic what the historic prices are. I've, have I,
1: I, I've seen airfare where there's things that will tell you if it's expected to go up or down, which is kind of interesting.
0: No, I, I haven't seen that actually, so that, that would be interesting. You'll have to point me at that sometime.
1: All right, uh, Craig, what are your picks for this episode? Uh, my first is uh, Get Out the Vote. Um, and I'm going to link to just the Wikipedia page on on Get Out the Vote. I'm not going to suggest a particular organization to go work with. But the idea of Get Out the Vote is that you um, you basically canvas. Uh, you, you go to a neighborhood. Um, you Someone has basically done some legwork for you to uh, figure out who um, doesn't vote all the time but might be likely to vote your way. Um, And it's usually a neighborhood that's more likely to vote your way. Um, So you go knock on the door. You've got the list of of addresses of voters uh, that fit those categories. Uh, You go knock on the door. Uh, You ask a question to basically feel out whether they are going to vote your way or the other way. And if uh, they're going to vote the other way, you basically move on. And if they're going to vote your way, you encourage them to go vote um, with whatever that might take, uh, offering them a ride, um, telling them the importance of the issues, whatever. Um, so I'm actually considering this election to go to a um, a different state where a, a swing state uh, where I might have some uh, bigger impact than my own state. Um, and, uh, the cool thing about Get Out the Vote is it's it's a good way to magnify your vote legally. Um, uh, one of the few ways to, especially cheaply, magnify your vote.
0: But you only have a two-seater vehicle. I mean, you can only take one other person then to the polling place. Uh,
1: there, there but are you can do it really fast. <laughs> <laughs> there are organizations that also will help with those kinds of things. I see. Um, usually the organization you're working with has a, a plan for that as well. Um the other uh, my next pick is something I heard on a podcast and and the, it was the idea of a service culture. Um we've we've talked about servant leadership this is sort of taking that to um to the masses to everyone in your organization and having a service mindset. And and I thought that was a good idea. I don't have any uh links uh the couple links I found were kind of marketing type things. Um so i just encourage people to go look into the idea of a service culture. And uh, my final pick is something even weir. Um, my third pick is having crazy ideas that will never work. Um, so last week I had a crazy idea on how to solve homelessness. Um, so I was going to have some lunch and there was a mattress store next door to where we were eating. And I was like all those mattresses go unused at night and we have homeless people that don't have mattresses to sleep on at night. Why don't we get those two sides together and we can solve homelessness? And I'm like, I know that's a crazy idea, um, but just having that idea was kind of a, a creative act and, and sharing that idea is kind of a, 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 a crazy act in itself as well. And then I had another crazy, I had like three or four Monday night. Um, But my crazy idea Monday night was was starting a company that will do every project in duplicate so that we can solve the problem of um, not having studies on, well, what happens if you vary this or you vary that? So you'd be doing the same project twice and, and varying one variable at a time so we could do studies on those things. And you're like, well, that's stupid. Who would pay twice as much? I don't know, but maybe someone would. The government! (laughs) Yeah, that was someone said that they might. Those are
0: two excellently crazy ideas. I love them. Well, good picks, Craig. All right, guys, that's all we have for this episode of This Agile Life. Be sure to check out the website at thisagilelife.com for more details on on these topics tonight you can find the links to our picks and some of the links to the other things that we discussed in the show. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life.
2: This agile life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at this life.com forward slash community.